Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotor operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Teaching them tools that then sees they never had a lack of courage, they just had a lack of experience and learning, and then they step into this, and suddenly you see these people that were already wonderful, inspiring, lovely people emerge actually as really kick-ass leaders as well. Because it's not that impressive. If you're just a natural bully, I'm not impressed that you're showing courage, right? Like you don't have any of the other qualities I admire or I want to work for. It's when you see someone that is creative and kind also make the trains run on time, right? And then deliver amazing experiences and return shareholder value, whatever. That is amazing. So that's been the big learning for me, right? That it's experience meets courage that gets the outcome. Hi there, dear Mavericks. Today we're diving in to the world of EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, with none other than Rob Lydiard, who over the years has become a great friend and sparring partner in my endeavors. We explore Rob's journey into AOS, the big problem it solved for leaders and companies, its mission and how it really works on the ground level of a leadership team and how you really see practical results of using this system. Rob shares his own first-hand experiences of transforming struggling businesses into thriving ones, with the background of the US principles. We also discuss key challenges entrepreneurs face and how they overcome them. We delve into the US accountability chart and the power of scorecards in business. Plus, Rob shares his most significant learnings as a business owner and founder and what excites him right now. If you liked today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review of the show on either on our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. This episode will make your business better, I promise you. And I will advise you when you listen to this, if you think this really something could work for you, to reach out to Rob and get his free 90-minute workshop. There will be links in the show notes for this. Now it's time to grab your notebook and enjoy. Well, I'm always excited when I bring back guests and you know that out there. But today I'm even more excited because um, I can't remember, it's a couple of months ago, Rob and I had a conversation and on his podcast and suddenly it becomes clear to me that, that Rob has become an EOS implementer. And that's a framework we're going to be talking about today, but it's done by Gino Wickman. That's an incredible book. Uh, I think it's about five, six years ago, I got the book Traction in the Hand of a Mentor of mine, and exactly all about how you build this system for your leadership team to manage your business more effective. And, and the great thing about this, and this is the, the catch I really love, actually lots of the thinking come from smaller businesses, and these people have done them themselves. It's a very practical framework. And a lot of the inspiration to do this came from Gino reading Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and thought, how can I actually make a practical version of implementing the concept for Good to Great, which we talked a lot about on the show. There has been review on the books here on the show. And if you haven't read the book, go and read the book uh, before you read Traction, because that's really the philosophy it all stemmed from. And then all that personal experience. But I'll, I'll leave it to Rob to tell more about that. Welcome to the show, Rob. I'm extremely excited for us to have this conversation today because I believe and hope it can help a lot of people out there. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Michael. I, I, I agree. And I'm looking forward to sharing like how it came into my life and how it helped me, um, which hopefully gives some validity as to why we think it might help others. 
Yeah, and Rob, for people that haven't listened in to a number of our previous conversation, maybe you should just frame a bit about who is Rob uh, and the journey you on and, and where you are and why we, as you said, are talking about the US framework today. Well, I, I was the founding CEO of a, a, a mobile software um, product, a company called Yapster, which people working in hospitality may have either used or at least be aware of. It's a um, It's a mobile communication system that's used primarily for the benefit of frontline colleagues, you know, tending bar, working out on the floor, um, serving tables. Those folks who usually don't have a corporate email address, right, which means that they don't find it that easy to talk to each other, even their GM, other than in local WhatsApp groups, which are not inclusive um, and also don't enable, enable them to talk between sites or certainly not to reach head office and regional leadership. So Yapster filled that gap. We work for businesses like um, Brewdog, Cafe Nero, Krispy Kreme, um, quite a wide range of hospitality businesses across all of the subsectors, hotels, bars, restaurants, and, and the like. I co-founded that business in 2015, and it was acquired by a company called Sona Christmas 2022. So Sona's a next generation people tech stack. So it's looking to, um, to be, they're trying to be best in class across a whole bunch of software categories that currently is quite fragmented mm. in the market. And so a lot of hospitality operators for a while now have been looking for something that matches the quality of best of breed with the cost effectiveness and interoperability of a bundled solution. So that's the Sona vision. And they acquired Yapster to accelerate their um, their product development around the communications work stream and also to acquire some of the great um, customers that we've had the, the privilege of, of, of working with. Now, although Yapster mm. had a happy end because it was acquired for in 2022 i mean of course the business is still going but happy end from perspective my perspective as the owner or co-owner in truth and i can name drop and i can talk about our hundreds of thousands of users and things but a lot of the time maybe four or five of the eight years i was running that business internally it was pretty painful because we were growing mm. but we had very aggressive growth aspirations and we often weren't hitting them there was some in internal kind of like stress and friction from time to time missed um missed targets and things operational targets as well as financial and we basically just got through it's like we were succeeding in spite of ourselves and then in um early early 2020 i was whinging to one of my customers we had very good relationships with the customers a guy called kenny blair who's the managing director of buzzworks holdings up in scotland um hopefully some listeners will know like buzzworks are a, a, a really well-run organization kenny often is a keynote yeah. speaker in hospitality um events around people and leadership Anyway, Kenny holds up this book, the book that you referenced earlier, Traction, laughs and says to me, Rob, stop whinging, go buy this book. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he had like post-it notes and highlights all over it. And I was like, well, I respect Kenny, so I'll give it a go. And I'm a bit of a geek anyway. So I read this book and dude, it was like someone turned a light switch on. You know, it, it, as you say, it consolidated all of the management theory I'd been reading all of my professional life and reduced it to something that was idiot proof. Like, cause I yeah. was much of an idiot as I look. And so suddenly I was like, oh my God, I can implement this. I did. And it was transformational. And that's what really see Yapster bounce back after COVID and eventually get acquired. And, and, and where, where are you now, Rob? Because it's very interested because you didn't just read the book and start implementing. That's where I've been on myself. You actually became a iOS implementer would actually mean that you get trained professionally in using the framework from you know the iOS system but also understanding how you go in and work with other teams to improve their effectiveness and so on so just give give us a bit of a, a catch-up on that yeah so what I love about the iOS model and community is that it, it pretty much always starts with the book if you buy the book traction you read it if you want to, you can self-implement it. Many entrepreneurial people do. They don't want to piss money away, particularly in difficult times. Uh, I, that's what I did, but it's because I didn't know that there were these professional implementers out there that could accelerate your, your journey and get you to the destination you're trying to get to faster, which often the money you save or the extra profit you make far exceeds the cost of the implementer, but I just didn't know. Now, it turns out Kenny works with an implementer, Buzzworks MD, and various other hospitality organizations running on EOS have used implementers as well. And I only discovered that after I started becoming a bit evangelical about EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, which is the system described in Traction. And I kept coming across businesses that I admire that are working with these mythical implementers. And I was thinking, that's really interesting. You know, it's quite unusual, particularly in hospitality, for people to sing the praises of their suppliers. 
technology or services. I think there's just a general sense of dissatisfaction, you know, because as hospitality people, we have high standards. Our client, our customers walking in the door hold us to high standards and it pisses us off when our supply chain don't, you know, jump, yeah. jump when instructed to. But people were just universally raving about these implementers. And so I started looking into it. And it just made me realize how much I hadn't understood when I was trying to self-implement. Um, and I was introduced to what they call the proven process, which is part of EOS. And it's basically, um, if you're interested in implementing EOS, whether you're going to self-implement or you're open to being facilitated, you can always get an implementer, i.e. an expert, to come and give you 93 minutes with your leadership team to teach you the tools of EOS, introduce the philosophy and explain how you would go about implementing it. And then you can decide if you want to do it on your own, not at all, with an implementer, with the implementer that just did the workshop for you or to go look for a different implementer. And I just thought that's such a lovely model. Like what a nice model where you can present something that changed your life that you really believe in. And at the end of it, the person that sat through that workshop doesn't feel like this timeshare pressure to buy from you. They can still take that value and go it do it themselves and all then all you hope is that they had such a good experience they'll tell someone else about you you'll do the workshop again and maybe they'll hire you so yeah that's, that's how it sort of came into my life and um and i've really enjoyed developing the mastery through the training of the sort of you know the original ogs of eos that actually wrote the book and designed the system to begin with i've learned a ton so, so what you do now is that you go around doing the workshop i guess and exactly try to help people and then as you say sometimes there's a catch and somebody wants to get you more involved and helping with the nuts and bolts of the implementation yeah so the way it works is there's no long-term contracts or anything like that um any organization that thinks they might benefit from a help from help they need to make a long-term mental commitment to transforming the way they run their business i'm sure we'll get into what that looks like um but there's no like legal or contractual or commercial commitment they just agree the days that they're going to do their EOS sessions and you commit to coming and facilitating and teaching on that day, if they get value from it, they pay you at the end of the day. If they don't, there's a, there's a guarantee that says you don't pay for any session where you didn't get value. So, so that's exactly it. You're always trying to give value. And if they see enough value in what you're doing, they'll ask you to come and run one of their days for them. If it succeeds, they'll pay you. If it doesn't, they'll carry on on their own or they'll find another implementer. But most of the time it unlocks so much value that would have been difficult for them to fully realize on their own that you end up on this really lovely journey where you you go for a year, sometimes even two years with them until they're confident running the system fully on their own. But at no point do they feel trapped. It's not like buying a software product where you're into a three-year license and you know suddenly the product you get looks very different to what the sales guy sold you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting because like there's a huge guarantee and a huge risk in principle on you as the implementer to go and deliver and add value. So actually there's no, you don't need to sign up for any cost, any commitments prior to doing that, which is really interesting in, you know, I can imagine in these times, uh, we talk about hospitality, um, it definitely, it's rough, it's real out there right now. But, but but if you were thinking, listening into this, Rob, what is it that, you know, is there one big problem that the US system solve? What is like the key idea about the, the system? And can you talk us a bit through it? And then we can go into the specific parts of it afterwards. So so there are six components in EOS. So the, 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 the overriding philosophy is that we believe that virtually all entrepreneurial businesses and entrepreneurial leadership teams simultaneously wrestle with about 136 different issues all at the same time. It's why it's such an overwhelming gig. Wow. But, yeah. but when you define and strengthen just six key components of a company, all of those 136 different issues tend to fall into place because mm. they're really just symptoms of of um, a few underlying things, right? So if you buy into that, then you you go on a journey to strengthen six components. We'll talk about that later. But but the the end point is you stop missing your numbers, <laughs> and you stop missing uh-huh. you stop missing your numbers because you come at it from two directions. You start setting sensible numbers that you actually can deliver, and we talk about that as vision, right? Like where are we trying to get to? How are we going to get there? We get everybody bought in on that, and we actually know how we're going to get there including the milestones on like 90 days, 12 months, three years, all the way up to a 10-year vision. So it's quite granular how we break down the vision. So that's our kind of roadmap. 
Um, but what we also do is we we increase team team health, starting at leadership team level. So we stop all of this um, latent dysfunction that exists in leadership teams where various people aren't performing or aren't clear on their roles, but nobody talks about it. We do it in a kind way, but all of this stuff comes up in the sessions. And then we create some new habits in the, um, the, the working cultures, again, starting at leadership team level, so that people start making their commitments and doing the things that the organization needed them to do week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter, which is how you then start actually executing. We call it traction. You get traction on your journey towards the vision. Mm. right and then you run your business on a weekly scorecard that's in the data component which is a a simple set of leading indicators for everyone in the leadership team to know if they won the week you've got a measurable what's the number we're trying to move we've got the name of the person that owns that measurable and then we've got a goal for the week and if we've set that goal right and the measurable correctly if we're winning the week then the quarters and the years will take care of themselves and so um there's a long-winded way of answering a simple short question but basically, if you're missing your numbers, you're either losing money or profitability is declining and you've tried everything else and you can't seem to arrest the, the decline or can't seem to get out and break through the ceiling that you're hitting. It's probably worth reading traction. I think it's really interesting that, you know, if I look at my own life as a founder, there is probably more than 100 problems I'm trying to solve <laughs> all the time, or trying to put the lid on. But actually, you know, if you know they stem from really systemic places in your organization, like your vision, mission, the way you do meetings, the way you set goals, which I think is really interesting because we all have unrealistic expectation what reality is. (laughs) Um, So if you don't put somebody in a chair and say, your job is to make sure this is realistic, um and actually don't instead of hitting yourself on the top of the head when you don't reach a number actually understand actually often it's inflated numbers um uh, but but i think that's really interesting because then suddenly you also take lots of stress out of organization i think a lot of bad decisions are made because of stress and unsaid things um but but before we, we go on, I think maybe a very good idea if you're listening in, and I don't know if you agree, Rob, that maybe just Google EOS uh systems and then you know look at have the framework in front of you as as we talk because then there's maybe some of these things that starts to give give sense in a way but i really love the thing about actually you know it's all about making the result that you want to see and and feel in life and and i guess when you start doing that it becomes easier to be the ceo founder um what is the mission of this what is the mission of this organization because it's quite an incredible movement when you go in as you said earlier when you're going to what is the key mission that eos is trying to uh, achieve in the world yeah so eos the the eos worldwide and hopefully we can put the link to my my eos microsite on 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 the show notes and if people want to access the tools they can get the tools for free by just following that link to the eos worldwide website so so the eos sort of headline mission is about helping entrepreneurs get what they want Um, My mission within that is I'm particularly passionate about, um, I call it fighting entrepreneurial poverty, which I know sounds a bit dramatic, but there's a guy called um, Mike Malowich, I think, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his surname, but he's the author of a book called Profit First, which is, is a fairly popular book, which basically is the principle of Profit First is rather than as an owner, as an entrepreneur, you take your profit at the end after all of after all expenses. It's saying that you should target a profit goal and you set that aside first from the income that you receive. And then you should manage the business to deliver the service or product within the um, the remaining revenue that's left. <clears throat> because otherwise, what most small or medium sized organizations do that are founder led, because it's a myth that all founders are super money motivated. Many are not. Many are quite creative. Um, what happens is all of the resources get exhausted on whims and ideas and, you know, maybe employees that you either don't need or can't afford or software and other products and then the entrepreneur ends up with not a lot left at the end and and that's fine in good times but in hard times that can lead to real like um quiet crises uh, at very least sort of stress and at worst actual genuine financial jeopardy and um you're starting to see some corporate insolvencies, but some of those will flow through into personal insolvencies as well, where people are guaranteed. And so that's my sweet spot, right? So EOS Worldwide is about helping helping entrepreneurs get what they want from their businesses. 
EOS is a really good tool for wildly profitable businesses that just want to grow like crazy, take private equity backing. The tools will work for that. I can do that. But my deep, deep passion within the OS um, purpose is helping good people, good entrepreneurs with good concepts in potentially good markets that are just holding themselves back with some structural or operational um, dysfunction that we can actually typically unlock pretty quickly. And that that then, um, the reason that's so meaningful to me is obviously that's one of the things I experienced in the middle part of my journey with Yapster. So I know what it feels like to be in that seat and it's something that gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, and then if you felt the pain, it's often also easier for you to go and solve and understand that pain. And it's a, I think a lot of founders are feeling that pain, and especially in the times now where, you know, even getting money is very expensive just to keep the, uh, just getting the business working and then having the funding to do it. And which it's it's a, it's a totally two different things. We can come into that later, but talk a bit about, um, you know, the model. And give us maybe you already said there's a, there's there's a number of areas of the model, but take us through the six key areas of the model. And if you haven't found it yet, find it now because we really good sense and looking at that model, very, very simple model. But talk, take us through the circle, which I thought when I saw that for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, that's it. That's what you need to implement to have a successful business. That's what you need to master. Not a hundred things, but those six areas. Totally. So um, we describe the components as vision, people, yeah. data, issues, process, and traction. So just briefly what that means, vision, where are we trying to get to and actually how are we going to get there broken down into milestones? People, you can't deliver a great vision without great people, right? But the problem with being an entrepreneurial business is we all define great people differently. How do we have a proven way of ascertaining who the right people are for our organization and then making sure that we do, in fact, have and keep those type of people? Yeah. Data is just about making decisions based on facts, figures and objective information, not on subjective information and feeling, which is what drives most decision making in entrepreneurial businesses. Issues is it sounds dumb, but it's amazingly powerful. Issues is just having a culture and a methodology for getting problems out in the open into a place where they're going to be tackled in order of importance in a methodical way so that the issues are not just discussed endlessly week after week after week, which is the pain of being in a struggling small business where we all get around the table and just bore on about the same thing. We actually ascertain the underlying root cause, then discuss it and then move to a resolution, which, which actually gets done. So that problem goes away forever. And the great thing about entrepreneurship is then new issues arise. <laughs> um, yeah. Process is just about how do we document our core processes? We believe that all companies run on a handful of core processes. So it's about understanding what they are and then taking an entrepreneurial approach, documenting like the 20% of key steps that drive 80% of the expected value from the process, getting really clear on that, what that is. And then we need to get those processes followed by everybody that touches the relevant core process. You know, so if there's a particular way to open a restaurant, anybody that might open the restaurant needs to be absolutely trained, measured and managed on how to open the restaurant the right and best way. That's how you make sure things are being done the right and best way every time and your business is more profitable and frankly, more fun. And then traction is at the bottom of the model. The model is illustrated typically in a circular wheel. People will see if they click the microsite link in the show notes, but they... Um, the reason traction's at the bottom and vision at the top is because traction's about bringing the vision down to the ground day to day and making it real, right? Because vision without traction is hallucination. That was my experience running Yapster. You know, there was nothing really wrong with the vision. It's just the vision got old after a few years of not really being realized with the same sort of like, to the same quality as, as the way it looked in my head and was described to the early customers. Um, and traction is typically expressed through a series of long and short-term habits basically like we agree that we're going to deliver 90-day initiatives the mo very most important things that help us hit our one-year plan we call those rocks and then we commit to something called a meeting pulse where basically we agree that the company's going to run on a predictable reoccurring rhythm not just ad hoc so that means we have certain types of meetings each week super high quality we call it a level 10 meeting because when you ask people to rate the quality of their meetings, they'll usually say, oh, like internal meetings, they'll be like, oh, two, three, what a god awful waste of time. 
And this level 10 meeting is a proven agenda that um, when your participants rate the meeting at the end of the session, you're trying to get everybody to unanimously rate that a 10 or close to, or, or you're forever going on a journey to get everybody that's participating to agree that it was a 10 out of 10 use of their time because you were collaborating and solving the most important issues together. And then that then that sort of um, folds into your quarterly cadences and your annual planning. And it's, you know, it sounds advanced, but it's actually incredibly simple. It's a few days a year to get aligned and make the trains run on time. And then all you have to do as an operator is have the discipline to be honest about the underlying issues and go through the process of working out which component needs to be strengthened, which person needs to be coached up or out to enable the vision to be real. And that's it. If it was any more complicated, I wouldn't be clever enough to teach it, Michael. Um, it was really interesting just from my own experience. Like um, we took it into uh, a point in an organization where we thought uh, we, were, we were quite well run in many ways. But really what really changed the game was two elements. And we self-implemented um, was the issue process. Because I knew as the one setting if you called it, by the end of the table, I knew the team was not honest with each other because I often said to them, if they came to me, well, then you need to go and dress that with so-and-so. That's your job. It's not my job to be the the one that brings you know that news. You need to go. That's your job. It's your responsibility. And they didn't. So the issue process actually took all that away. There was a huge win effectiveness in, in a leadership team. And actually, we got more done. We got more of the right things done. The, the rocks, as you call them. And then the level 10 uh, approach in meetings, which, you know, there's an agenda. This is what we talk about. And there's timing. And you keep that time because especially when you are surrounded by founders and passionate people, they like to come up with ideas. <laughs> and I'm an integrator as profile. And then I have a reason to shut down the ideas, not because I want to destroy the idea approach, but there's a different meeting for that. Yeah. It's not the operation meeting that keeps the flywheel moving and make sure that what the things we committed to and communicated to people that has invested into the business and our customers, that we deliver on those promises. And that's what it's about. So yeah, that was just a bit of my my own experience to say, well, it's a really, really powerful, simple system. And you can go and do that yourself. And you can probably do it even better with an implement like you, Rob. I love to work with the team over at Bissimple because they are always striving to get better. 1% better every day. So I had to share this with you because we simply have launched a new blogcast which highlights some of their favorite hospitality maverick podcast episodes over time. And if you're new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog. The Bissimply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guest, the Mavericks. There's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Chantel Nicholson and the co-founder of Singerman's community of businesses, Ari Weinswein. Find them at bissimply.com slash blog and click blogcast on the right side menu. Enjoy. From your own experience implementing these principles, you know, how do you, what do you see normally when you come in and then you go from struggling to thriving, let's call it that, that journey, what happens, what is the like resistance, you know, change, all that stuff. Talk a bit about that and what normally happens when you start applying the system. So the phrase I like is I always describe myself as a dummy with a pen to the leadership team because yeah. you, you need to make it clear that your job is a teacher of the EOS tools, a facilitator, like you're not an answer man, you're not a guru, right? You're just there to facilitate the answers that are already in the heads of the leadership team in the room so that they can come to the right answer for their business, right? They're not hiring you to go in and tell them how to run their business. I mean, I couldn't run their business. You know, I could barely run my business. So, <laughs> But I, I'm able to facilitate the discussion using the tools that I've just taught to help them get to the right answer. And I'll come on to what some of those answers typically are as we go through the process. And then finally, the last bit, which is the bit I'm least comfortable with, but I suspect is the bit that adds the most value is coach. So teacher, facilitator and coach. And the coach thing is interesting. I think the reason I love working with 
companies that are not quite at full turnaround but will be in turnaround if they don't take action soon is um i know what it's like to be a stressed out founder owner that works hard that's had success previously and it and it's not going right and i don't know why and i can't muscle it anymore you know and you go through like you go from angry to tearful to like all the emotions right you know i can see you nodding right so what i love about the coaching piece is for anybody that's listening that's ever played sport or maybe maybe done like um, performing arts, like in a band or theatre or something, when you're on the pitch, on the stage, everything goes fast, you know? It's like an out-of-body experience. And you kind of have to have um, unconscious competence to really perform at that level when you're like in flow, stay in the zone. And if you haven't acquired that competence, it's just like getting battered. You know, it's a trauma. It can be a traumatic experience. Whereas if you're in the audience or on the sideline of a sports pitch or in the audience of a theatrical, or you know, musical production, you're not feeling any of that adrenaline. You're just watching it. So you can like see, if the, you can hear if the singer's a little bit out of tune. You can see if the player is in the wrong place on the field relative to where the action is. It's not because you're a better player. It's because you just, you're not having adrenaline pumping through your veins and you've got a slightly different vantage point. Um, So people on the sideline generally can offer constructive feedback, but it's hard for founders to hear. There's something magical about being on the sideline, but being able to empathize with what it felt like being on that stage or on the pitch. Mm. And um, so that's the bit I really love because you're not saying... I think you should do X. You're saying you said that your strategy was to do X, but what it looks like from over here on the sideline is you're doing Y. So like, have we miscommunicated what X is and therefore we just need to redefine it as Y? Or do we need to do something different because our behaviors and the things we're doing are actually different to our sort of strategic intent? And quite often it's that they're just not realizing that they're doing things that are different to what their aspirations are or what they said a moment ago. So, So those are the kind of three foundational things we do. And then in terms of what the process we actually go through, um, I won't break it down like laboriously through the proven process. If you if you go onto the EOS worldwide site again, you'll see what the proven process is in all the different sessions. Yeah. But broadly, in the first session that we the first session we do together is that free 90-minute workshop for the team to decide if the EOS is for them, learn the principles, understand the process, decide if they like you and they want implementation help. The next step in the process is what we call a focus day. And the focus day is awesome because you um we teach some foundational tools, the philosophy behind the EOS. Um, but then what we do is we create a really good accountability chart for the leadership team. The accountability chart is a bit like an org chart, but it's different in that it's driven by the specific accountabilities of what we call seats, which you might call roles in your organization currently. And we're, tr- yeah. we're trying to work out what's the smallest, most highest performing, performing team that we can put together at leadership level to take accountability for the most important things, like the the major functions that happen beneath them, which usually we'll try and persuade um, is marketing and sales, operations, which might break into a few seats, and then finance, which which can break out to encompass um, IT and HR or whatever. But we're trying to keep that as tight as possible. And it's interesting because teams come in with whatever their like their inherited structure is, where they might just have a whole mm. bunch of bums on seats and not that much clarity between them. And they might have... Um, some folks that like don't really know if they're in the leadership team or not, they're really administering things that other people are deciding, but it's creating confusion at that level. And by the time you finish that accountability chart session, if you've done it well, they should be much, much clearer on what the right structure is for their organization to be high performing going forward. And they don't roll it out there and then we call it like wet cement. We say, let's come back and look at this again in 30 days. And then again, in 30 days after as you're mastering the tools. And at some point it will crystallize. You'll be confident it's the right structure. And then you can roll it out through the organization. But watch, mm. watching a leadership team that's quite flabby and confused come out like lean and mean and ready to go is, is really, um, really rewarding. Yeah, and it's very interesting this accountability chat. I had that in 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 one swell with the team where it actually came to that was you're talking about issues and problems. There were people of people that's not my issue, that's not my problem. But then, you know, how can you actually learn people's actually your accountability? You know, if you're not direct accountable, you're indirect because your your team player over there is gonna have challenges in a moment. So it's also that understanding when you can help. And I think that's really powerful by running that session. I've seen myself like really that you can see when others are struggling because you know what they need to hit 
and how can you then go in and help them? And that happens totally automatically when there's totally clarity on where accountability lies and what is key for accountability in that role, finance, marketing, sales, whatever it is. Totally. Well, what happens is when you have too many people in a leadership team and it's a founder-led organization, the founder has accidentally created a situation where there there are no leaders, right? Because if everyone's a leader, then nobody's a leader. You want everybody to take responsibility and exhibit the characteristics of leaders. But I mean like formal leadership is in accountable for outcomes. You're right. When you've got a founder and then a whole bunch of um, ambitious, you know, maybe really capable people, but all kind of like bashing elbows and suggesting ideas side by side, you'll find that the, the founder constantly has to be the tiebreaker and like intermediate between sales and marketing and yeah. between the various different limbs of operations. Whereas when that rolls into another seat, it all becomes much clearer. And it may be that the founder sits in multiple seats to begin with, but over t- that just becomes an issue. And over time, the founder starts to see how he or she can, we call it delegate and elevate. How do they get to a place where they've got a capable leadership team doing all of the things that really they're being paid for so that the founder can focus on the things where they can add the most value to the organization. It might be site selection, might be like wooing private equity investors. I mean, it could be, it could Mm. be starting new and different businesses could be hanging out in the kitchen, coming up with menus. It doesn't matter, but there'll be something that the founder is going to be uniquely brilliant at. And it means they're no longer going to be mired in HR issues or like, you know, like compliance stuff that they're not passionate about. They're not very good at but they've just accidentally taken that job through lack of accountability. Yeah, you had to pick it up because you're the last man standing in principle. Um, can you give a couple of examples of results that has been created uh, where you've seen like really significant or maybe very specific about what happened and what the kind of outcomes was and you know what was really the trigger point for making that happen? Yeah, so so there's it's a bit too early in my journey. I mean, obviously Yapster was acquired, so that was the first sort of proof point for me. It's a bit too mm. early in my journey. Um, to, for, for my 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 clients are going to start seeing like the real provable PNL impact that we can we can publish. I would expect coming up to sort of summertime. Yeah, you want a few quarters for it to really start baking in. Um, but on the on the EOS website, there's a whole bunch of companies from a whole bunch of different sectors that are demonstrating you know, achieving higher multiples on, on exit. I know there's one like consumer facing, I don't think it's hospitality actually, but there's, there's a quite a cool, um, it's quite a cool example of, of somebody coming in to a private equity backed business where the private equity fund mandated that the new CEO had to be willing to run the company on EOS. Oh, it's called Zesty Paws. It was just acquired for like 600 million quid or something. Um, and the CEO that took the job was introduced to, to EOS as a result of the PE firm saying, this company needs to run on EOS because there's such a big opportunity here. And the only thing that's going to stand in our way is ourselves and operational um, and leadership dysfunction. So that's probably my favorite example. But I mean, if you'll have me, give me a few months and I'll, I'll come back and talk about some hospitality specific PL impact um, in the world that I'm working in. Because it's pretty easy to see, right? When you stop carrying roles that are not productive and you start maximizing your um, customer income, your customer experience, which is driving customer income, and then it's driving profitability because you're a lean and effective operation. It's easy to see how that how that turns into to outturn. Or if you've really picked dogs of sites that you can never make profitable, no matter how effective you are operationally, the issues list and that process and redefining and reshaping your vision and trying to deliver it will allow us to come up with a plan to extricate ourselves from those sites that are killing the organization, hive off, whatever it is we need to do to unshackle the business from that anchor. Because of my specialism working with entrepreneurs in in some element of impending struggle, that's actually pretty common. It's pretty common that there's a major structural issue that we need to find a way around in order to then unlock the potential of their team. And previously, they've just been banging their heads against the wall, working harder when they need to just do something different. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, often we think success is also connected with working hard as entrepreneurs. We just need to put the work in. I haven't put enough work in. I haven't put enough hours. And that's an element of that. But the real, the key thing is that you actually haven't found the most effortless way of doing it. Um, and then and you're talking about sites. I can I remember my own experience. Um, I don't operate sites now, but where you you have emotion on these sites, either to the people that work there or the site. It's been there from the beginning, but it doesn't work for you anymore. 
you need to cut your losses. I've been a part of business where we took too long and it just became a very tough process to do that, to reduce size. Um, and if you looked at the PL, it was obvious, you know, it was, it was not a three months situation. It was a over two, two or three years. This has gone on. And, you know, but there's really a lot of emotion in, in that more than, and it, nobody's rational because there's no process, as you say. And that's what the US system again gives you that process to uh, to make those decisions um, as a business owner or MD or CEO or founder? What, what I see very often, actually, is you get some MDs and founders that are like super aggressive, but most are actually like like to be liked, really visionary, really kind. I, f- yeah. I find that it really helps them to lean on the process. It slightly depersonalizes some of the difficult decisions. You still yeah. You still have to be brave enough to have the conversation, but it's not you initiating something mean or cold. It's an issue that we solve as a leadership team where the answer often becomes self-evident. And it might not be something that one of us wanted, but it just is what it is. And then you find that these these kind-hearted founders can step into that opportunity to do the right thing because the structure has given them the 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 opportunity to do it in a in a humane way, a dignified way, whether it's rebasing an investor or yeah, restructuring a team or changing a value proposition that some segment of your customers really, really love. Um, you know, once you once you've got a structure, it, it makes it much easier to to discover that um, that courage. Yeah, and it takes the it takes the personal personal relationships out of it as well, because it's the system you're running, not the individual relationship. Of course, the individual relationship feed the system, but not the other way around. For sure, it's not the the, the, the relationships and the emotion that drives the business, which is very unhealthy. Just coming a bit back to the to the system and Gina Wickman, and he talks a lot about if you read his stuff and get into it, he talks about one of the really important thing here is actually to you know measure, have a scorecard for for what you do. Can you talk a bit about that? How the US system brings that to life? Because one thing is that you do the process and you agree on all the six areas and you find ways, but actually you need to measure it to get it done. That's the, the basic rule in business. Yeah. So now in hospitality in particular, this is a really funny one because people have access to data coming out of their ears, but it's so complicated and laborious to obtain that many of the founders delegate it to someone, might be the finance person or somebody else, might even be someone quite low in the organization that like does dashboards. And then they actually end up overwhelmed and not really looking at the numbers in the, in the, the, the most useful way. So EOS has a fairly prescriptive scorecard format to to demystify becoming numbers led. And it just says, look, a leadership team should have five to 15 measurables, like a few of the better, that are leading indicators on a weekly basis of whether we're on track to hit our, our aspirations, which are expressed in our, in our vision. Right? And, and the test that they ask us to apply as operators when we're using the scorecard is if you were on a desert island, and you're, you 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 built your business in such a way that you could go and spend six months just hanging out on a cabana, being fed drinks, you know, by some beautiful man or woman, whichever you prefer, um, to um, just to chill. But you still owned the business, or you connected to the business. So you want you were curious about how it was going. You needed to know, frankly, if everything was on fire and you needed to fly home. Um, and you was completely disconnected. You, you couldn't. Your phone wouldn't work. What would you need to see on a single piece of paper that the cabana attendant mm. brings over to you with your cocktail? And it's a really interesting question because most of us are like drowning in numbers, but that doesn't really give us an absolute pulse on our business. And so the process of unpicking that and being like, what do we need to know as a leadership team to know that we don't need to leave the beach? It's quite fun. And then what you do is once you've nailed a great scorecard at leadership team level, you start to roll scorecards down to the individual teams. Now, in hospitality, one of the challenges is that we've got a lot of part time colleagues. Um, Many of us feel Mm -hmm. very grateful that people even come to work, even show up for their shift. So there's a real reluctance to, to burden frontline colleagues, which is correct. But sometimes that reluctance to burden colleagues turns into this kind of institutional laziness where we dismiss communicating with um, and engaging those colleagues in really meaningful business ways because we just assume they won't be interested. So EOS Pure, 100% strong, 
in the data component actually means every colleague having a number, knowing what their number is and how their role contributes mm. numerically to the, the organization's delivery of the vision. You know, it could be something to do with customer satisfaction. I personally like for non sort of back of house roles, I like the idea of profitability over labor costs because I, th mm. I, th I think that um, too few people working in hospitality where it's their job to give amazing service that translates the value for the organization money really think about how much money the business made during the course of their shift from their efforts. Because of course, if the customer facing team are not generating sales, there's no money to pay rent and the chefs and all the people that aren't in front of the customer. So obviously the money that the organization makes needs to be some multiple of your wage cost as the person serving. And um, people in hospitality don't really think about themselves as salespeople. And I totally get that. And I'm not talking about making them salespeople, but they quite often are service oriented and team oriented and understanding that the financial survival of the organization relies on the people in front of the customer generating enough value to pay for all of your mates to get paid as well. I think it's quite motivating. I mean, you see that in the software world in sales, it's a bit different because they get sales commissions as well. But a salesperson understands they need to generate six times their, their total compensation in order for there to be yep. enough gross profit to pay all of the operating costs. And then there still be some sort of profit margin for the shareholders to continue to support the business afterwards. And it's just uncontroversial. But in hospitality, we shy away from that a bit. Now, that doesn't necessarily need to be the measurable but hopefully me talking about it will explain some of the logic and some of the questions a thoughtful teacher, facilitator and coach might ask a hospitality operator about their numbers and how they're rolling down and how you make them meaningful so that everybody knows really what their role is in making the vision real and making the team happy and healthy. Yeah, that's quite spot on that thing. Also, I think it's also the, the numbers you looked at. Um, I had another guest recently at Barry from Edify and we talked about are you looking at lack indicators or lead indicators for your organization? And, you know, your lack is your sales, mm. your labor cost. It's done. Nothing you can do about it. But actually, what is the lead indicator that improves your labor cost? You know, it could be, you know, some kind of activity or habit that actually creates better customer experience when you know you do that in the restaurant customer get better experience thereby they might be buy more or they give more tips or whatever it is that you're trying to behavior you're trying to drive but i can start thinking about what kind of behavior would i like to drive to achieve more sales or more effectiveness in my labor costs one behavior would be deliver really good training every time you train a person because that will drive productivity to the bottom line in some way or the other. So it's really there's most very simple things you can ask people to do. But it's really hard actually to break it down to the simple bit. It sounds simple, but it's a really hard process, I feel myself. Yeah, well, do you know what's interesting? I love it that you've just illustrated that because we talked about the six components, right? Vision, people, data, issues, process, traction. And the reason it's illustrated visually in a wheel is because they're all connected. And what you've just done yeah. there is you've painted that connection between the scorecard and core processes. Um, like how do we train people? Like one of my favorite examples, it's not quite as cool now because they were acquired many, many years ago, but be at one, the cocktail bar in their heyday. I don't know if you ever went there, but you'd walk in and um, and the bartender would would ask you your name, would try and make sure that you get a drink fairly swiftly. They're listening, there's rock music playing there. They're seemingly having a great time and they're trying to almost involve you in their party. But they would remember your name. They would use your name for the remainder of the time that you were there. And mm. I have no idea how they train folks to remember that many names in a packed bar on a Saturday night whilst they're rocking out Guns and Roses and pouring drinks on the bar and things. But there was clearly an incredibly rigorous um, recruitment, onboarding, retention and continuous improvement process. And um, that is a classic example of what core processes done really well achieves and then how that would show in your lagging indicators of course is your spend spend per head but you're right thinking about leading indicators it could be something like number of people coming through training with a score above 80 yeah. percent or something so no michael you're absolutely right to, to draw that out and it's a fun way of showing folks that whilst you might have weakness in one component generally you need to be focused on all of them which is why you know this isn't a seminar or an invitation to dabble you know if you're going to do eos you really do have to make a mental commitment to do it properly if you want to get the value out of it.
Yeah, you need to train. You have to put the work in, as they say. Um, Rob, you said yourself, you're, you know, you founded a business, you went through the struggle, uh, you've been through the last couple of years as well. What has been one of the most significant learnings for you as a leader, business owner? Just, just to, to, to enter the danger is uh, it's an expression of a value at EOS Worldwide about doing the right thing. Um, entering the danger requires, like doing the right thing requires awareness of what the right thing is, which comes from learning and experience, and then the courage to do it, you know? And, mm. and, I, and I think for me, it's been this this learning what that feels like with experience. We've all been through this crazy ordeal some of us discovered a lack of courage. Some of us discovered courage, but a lack of learning and experience. And yeah. so for me, it's been seeing founders that maybe previously might've done things that might've implied lack of courage, you know, like they haven't got their team to a place of health and performance. Teaching them tools that then sees they never had a lack of courage. They just had a lack of experience and learning. And then they step into this and suddenly you see these people that were already wonderful, inspiring, lovely people emerge actually as really kick-ass leaders as well. Because it's not that impressive. If you're just a natural bully, I'm not impressed that you're showing courage, right? Like you don't have any of the other qualities I admire or I want to work for. It's when you see someone that is creative and kind also make the trains run on time right and then deliver amazing experiences and return shareholder value whatever that is amazing so that's been the big learning for me right that it's experience meets courage that gets the outcome yeah oh, i love that i love that um because i think it's also that you know ability you know to actually not point at the person it's not the person not working and i think if you sit and listening your founder ceo md ceo uh whatever you have operations director think about often we all do this i did it myself yesterday you blame a person for something doesn't work but actually it's not the person it's the system or the framework you have created or the the brief or the accountability you have created around them that's not working and it doesn't mean that you just have to you have to do everything it's not your fault but you're responsible and accountable and you need to build a better system around it. It's often not the system that's wrong. It's the people, uh, there's the people actually feeding the system and what you're feeding them with, you know, to create that system you want to see in a way. So, yeah, I think it's that thing and not blaming people is really important in this. Also going into it, that mindset as you're implementing the US system or any kind of system. Yeah, the people process is interesting. You know, when you define your core values and then you, we use a tool called the people analyzer and you show a leadership team how to use the people analyzer to explain to colleagues when their behaviors are falling below our expected cultural bar, like specifically yeah. and actionably. And then there's a sort of um, a right seat thing. Like, are they any good at their actual job? We talk about, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity? It's all there on one page. And you sit down with a colleague and you're right, blaming them just for random ad hoc cock-ups is a bit weak, really. Like, it's better to idea, do the issue-solving track and work out, is it really that they just weren't paying attention or is there some training or, or other issue? But, like, generally, if somebody is underperforming, they can well be underperforming, but rather than just bullying them ad hoc whenever you're in a sour mood and, and, and avoiding the conflict when you're in a good mood, you can just systematically talk to them about where it is that they're falling down and then you can coach them up. And you know what? Half the people that are the wrong fit will just leave when you start coaching them up using a simple tool. It takes all the emotion out of it. And so you're right. Anybody that's not coaching people up using a simple but repeatable framework for talent management and development, frankly, deserves dysfunction in their team. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Rob. Um, what are you excited about right now? What? Um, I'm really excited about... I, I, actually, I feel terrible saying this, but it's true. I'm excited that we're getting to crunch time now and that the the great businesses in that lower middle market are going to emerge as winners from this very difficult space. I know we're a very collaborative industry in mm. hospitality. Um, yeah. But if you've got shrinking consumer spend, then like it is zero sum to yeah. some extent, right? You're going to be dividing fewer pounds between more operators. Um, 
it's natural to bury our head in the sand for as long as we can as people. That's what humans do. What I'm excited about now is it feels like we're getting to the point where folks that would have hoped to just muddle through, like the Americans in the Second World War, (laughs) are like, you know what? Um, we got to do something now. And the opportunity in that is actually that you can start to see torchbearers for what recovery might look like emerge. You know, there's a lot of like, there's been a lot of doom and gloom for a long time. We all know that input costs have gone up and the ability to pass on to customers has not, has not come through with it. Like that's okay. It's been okay to commentate on that for six months, but now you've got to a place where some people are starting to make moves. And I think that's really exciting. I just want to know those people, you know, like even if they're self-implementing EOS, I don't care that they're not using me. I just want to be around that energy, you know, like, cause we've all got to live in this society and work in this economy anyway. So, you know, yeah. why, why not try and align yourself and be around folks that are making the best of it and doing the hard things, you know, the right things to make the best of it. And I think that wouldn't have been appropriate a year ago because those folks might've been reckless moving too soon. But I think now yeah. it's becoming clear that now is the time for action. And that's quite exciting. Yeah, that is very interesting. I, I can definitely see from my connection with the industry, there is some people, they're having the same challenges, but they're thriving with them and actually using the opportunity. And they're, they're great businesses and they they have or there will be some great announcements for them You know, going forward. They're really capitalizing on the situation because they have even if they're doing the EOS kind of approach, but they have these element of EOS, good to great companies in them, but means they're really capitalizing now. They've been waiting patiently in the background. And now that's, you know, that has, of course, a consequence. There's others falling away, as you say, and it's very sad and there's some pain that has to be gone through. But I think you're right. It is a critical moment where, you know, the next six to 12 months, I think we'll see uh, hopefully the platform of how the the industry is moving on going forward. But I don't think we've seen the last thing as well. That's a, and I don't know what it is. If I could predict black swans, I would be doing something else. (laughs) Ray Dalio would probably hire me as his uh, advisor. (laughs) Agree. Me Um, neither. That's all good. Yeah. Is there any question you wish I've asked you, Rob? And uh, what would it be and um, what would the answer be? No, th- this has been fantastic. I guess the only the only thing we didn't really cover, and I don't think we need to go into it in too much detail here, but in EOS, there's two very critical jobs, the visionary and the integrator. Yeah. And we covered it in one of our prior yeah. prior conversations. So I would just urge anybody that's listening that thinks this sa- the outcomes sound good, but all of that work sounds hard you're probably a visionary. And that means you probably need someone on your leadership team who's what we call an integrator. And Michael alluded to it earlier. Um, yeah. Read the book, Google EOS integrator online or contact me and I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk you through it. Um, he or she will change your life. <laughs> and challenge your life. And uh, because, yeah, I am very obvious, of course, very influenced by that thinking. And I, everything I do, I do around having a visionary and implementer in my team, if that's... Integrator. Sorry, I just, I've just realized, yeah, for those listening, implementer is someone that comes in for a short period of time to help yeah. you learn the tools. An integrator is like an MDCOO. Sorry, Michael, you were right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so it's really, you know, about making sure you have both elements of that. You know, if you don't have that skill, bring it in from the outside. Um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, somebody that's hired. It could just be an inspiration. But the, the integrator and the visionary role has to be there. And, of course, they need to find out how they communicate their differences. Mm-hmm. Because you will see it's very different. It's getting, as I normally say, the integrator is getting stuff done and be realistic. And the visionary is the one that dreams of a crazy world that doesn't exist yet. But, of course, there is you know, touch points where they support each other very well. And it's really your job to figure that out because that's actually the fuel to make the system work really well as the team scales up. Um, Because if they can see there's a conflict in that up there, it's not going to work. That's my own experience as well. Yeah, completely, completely. Visionaries trapped in in integrator roles are just miserable over time. They never do it that well. So yeah, no, that's the only thing that I'm glad we've got. There's a whole, as we talked about last time we talked on it, there's a whole like, episode in talking about those dilemmas because then we into founder uh leadership kind of friction dilemmas which we already touched a little bit on this conversation if people want to connect with you rob 
learn more about the US system, um, just have a chat. Um, so for thought, something was interesting from this conversation. Where did you do that? Um, best to, to click my LinkedIn link or, or, as I say, I've got a page on the EOS Worldwide website where you can read a bit about me. You can request a call if you want to, or you can download some of the tools. Calls are always free. Um, and the first 90 minute workshop, if someone wants to do that, is always free as well. And there's no obligation. And genuinely, when I do those workshops, about 45% of the organizations that I do it for end up going on to do a session with me. So if you're in the 55% where you have no intention of paying an implementer to teach you how to do something you can read in a book, it's totally fine. All I want to do is meet great businesses that are serious about, you know, aligning around a vision, executing with more accountability and discipline and building healthy team dynamics at leadership team level. So if you're serious about that, I'll happily give time to you. So yeah, just click the link and we'll have a chat. Great power and energy to make businesses more profitable, better for both people, community, and the planet, Rob. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself, mate. Thank you. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it, or give it a review, or subscribe to one of our channels, because all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here on the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to BizTemple for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tinkser and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick.